Welcome back to the oven, my crispy cousins, for another episode of Oh God It Burns, your buyer's guide to bad comics. Today on the pod, we're continuing our look at Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns universe with a slight twist. The title we're covering today is not officially a Batman story. Some might call it that cheating. But in order to fully understand why 2011's Holy Terror has earned a spot on the list, you'll need to know about its very long and very interesting publication history, where it was originally developed as a propaganda comic starring, you guessed it, Batman, as he works side by side with his lover-slash-freaky-sex-kitten Catwoman to seek revenge on Al-Qaeda following the devastating terror attack on Gotham City. It was to be a spiritual successor to books like Captain America No. 1, the cover of which depicts Cap knocking Hitler's jaw off, but because Frank was still in a very dark place following the events of 9-11, it instead became something more vile and hateful, albeit with a very poignant message about how PTSD can affect the lives of the victims in a very deep-rooted and incurable ways. Understandably, DC no longer had any interest in affiliating Batman with his title, and Frank took this to his second home at Dark Horse to publish this as a standalone graphic novel with barely tweaked costume designs to set them apart from their iconic DC spirit animals. People love to hate on this book for his blatantly Islamophobic overtones, but those who read this for the story beyond the page will find a tale of redemption for Frank Miller as an artist. Following Dark Knight Strikes Again, it was clear that he had continued to deal with the fallout from the World Trade Center attacks and that he had been carrying that anger knotted up in his gut for years, just looking for a solid pillow to scream it all out in. Holy terror is that pillow. And that is why we believe this title deserves a spot in your coveted long box of cursed and forbidden comics. So listen along as Bruno and I detail the many therapeutic ways this book helped Frankie get his groove back on this week's meditative episode of Oh God, it burns. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Oh God, it burns. Today we are continuing Miller time. It's Miller time, baby. And we're we're gonna be jumping into a bit of a downer episode for this one. This is the hangover that you get when you have too much Miller time. You know, you you just kind of power your way through it, and you take a second to realize on all the mistakes you've made in the evening. That's where we're at. We're at the core hangover headache we, we i got to a part where i was just like reading and reading i was like man i can't get enough of this frank miller batman stuff and i saw like the whole story behind holy terror was supposed to be like the next chapter and batman i was like so ready for it that i'm reading it and it depresses me yes yes depresses yes. me so much I, mean, I started off with such a good thing like holy terror so he's there like channeling his best burt ward like holy terror batman and then you read the whole story of how holy terror kind of came to be and one of the confines even of the story itself. And it kind of takes a somber note. And you're like, oh, well, that's yeah. really, yeah. I know. This This is actually in the aftermath of uh, 9-11. Uh, Frank Miller famously yeah. went a little off the deep end, uh, drugs and everything. And he's kind of trying to get himself back into shape. But after Dark Knight Strikes Again, he had planned to do a propaganda comic. And that propaganda comic was to be called Holy Terror, Batman, yeah. which sounds whimsical. Yeah. And you're like, all right, cool. So it's going to be like a fun, like... Captain America punching Hitler type of thing where you go over and you have like this this really cool and I mean that's setup. Li- that's literally how he described it. He was channeling all those like like you had, you know, Superman punching Hitler, Captain America punching Hitler, Superman selling bonds for the army. You know, you have all the time. It's like in our darkest times, we turn to our heroes, you know, both the real life heroes that, you know, tragically, you know, paid the price for doing their duty and then the fictional ones that are essentially bulletproof that keep you know people inspired and it was a noble idea and you know you could and also like kind of whimsical sounding too where you're like okay so it's gonna have him take it on al-qaeda so he's gonna go to the desert he's gonna beat the shit out of them find them in their caves and that's kind of not what we got. Almost kind of like, like when we heard all-star batman and robin the boy wonder and you're like oh that's gonna be a fun little story and then it turned into, I'll break your fucking neck! <laughs> I, I mean, we thought we were getting, like, Batman, Judo Chops, Osama Bin Laden. But then it goes into, like, Batman slaughters a lot of them. <laughs> Batman slaughters all of them in Empire City. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know what? i give you the best example of it. It's everyone was super excited when Man of Steel was an, uh, the sequel to Man of Steel was announced and it was Batman versus Superman and everyone was like, this is going to be great. Batman and Superman finally on their own, like, 
on screen together. Like, that's what every fanboy dream. And then they see the trailer, and Batman is, like, beating up these dudes and shooting them left and right. And we're like, where the... What is this? This isn't Batman. That's exactly the same feeling, just capsulized and put on page. I thought for a second when I was watching Batman and Superman that I was watching the last catharsis scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood <laughs> where Brad Pitt is just ruining everybody. And I'm like, oh, why is Brad Pitt wearing the bat? When did he become Batman? <laughs> it's just... It, it, you, you want this to be fun. I want this to be so fun. And I was just like, man, I can't wait to jump into this. And for what it's worth, it is beautiful. It, it is beautiful. All the bullshit that we suffered through with... Uh, what was it? Dark Knight Strikes Again. Yeah. There's none of that. First of all, Lynn Varley, uh, they're divorced. They don't even talk to each other anymore. <laughs> so even oh. though she's a beautiful colorist uh, for most of the time, as soon as she touched the digitals, like, it's not it's not on Frank Miller's stuff. I mean, also, Frank Miller is actually drawing now. Like, he's yeah. getting back to, into form, and he actually knows anatomy. And he's showing that he knows anatomy. But it's also in that scritch scratch uh, Sin City type of style. Yeah, I was, well, I was going to say, this is... Definitely, um, if you like the Sin City style art, it's him taking it to that next level. Because like every picture on there would is just great um, with that scratch thing. Like it, so a lot of them actually would make great backdrop for like posters if you would put it up there. I would love it, especially when he goes into the embassy and it's like just all Islamic uh, like uh, uh, symbolism and stuff yeah. like that. It, it's so detailed and dense, and you're like, man, this is good. And then you kind of settles in as you read the caption he's like oh oh I feel dirty <laughs> this doesn't feel like Superman punching Hitler this feels like I mean, Batman slaughtering a bunch of people I mean there's a, there's so much that, that looks great on page like how often do you get to see a really cool Jewish superhero yeah. <laughs> this dude literally has a star of David on his head. His name's David. His name's David. And he's and basically I, the question. Like, you can see where it was repurposed from Batman. Because, like, spoiler alert, this, DC didn't go for it. DC was just, like, kind of stringing Frank along, I think. After uh, he was finished with Dark Knight Strikes Again, he was just like, Yeah, Frankie, we'll, we'll go ahead and give you the other one. Yeah, I want to fuck him up. I want to fuck up Bin Laden. And they're like, yeah, man, we'll do it. And then they got to a point, and they're like, okay, so I don't think this is really a Batman story, Frank. I, I respect your artistic vision. And Frank was just like, yeah, it probably isn't a Batman story. So what does he do? He goes ahead and jumps over to Dark Horse. He basically keeps everything looking the same, only he takes the ears off of Batman. Yes. And the like question, the he draws a face and a star of David over. Yeah. Commissioner Gordon still looks like Commissioner fucking Gordon. <laughs> like, I, I thought he would have, like, shaved the mustache or give him full-on handlebars, but no. Yeah! Like, <laughs> give him a Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> you fuck those terrorists up, brother! <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I'm still coughing from my cold. <laughs> fuck! All right, bro, talk while I hack over here. <laughs> I need to know my limits. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, I'm too busy laughing. At you, dude. Um. So yeah, no. As far as it goes, uh, uh, this podcast is going to be focusing a lot on what led to Holy Terror because it is not every day that you see a comic book that was clearly meant to be one thing, and they're just like, no, we're not doing that. No fucking way. Yeah, you, you can see why page. the DC people would be like, yeah, sure, because they they. Uh, Gene, I can't even remember what his name was. The guy who did American Born Chinese and also New Superman from uh, the Chinese Superman. Like, he did a Superman versus the Ku Klux Klan. Like, that's, that's not out of the norm for them, like, any publishers to do this. They even did it back in, like, one of the Batman annuals uh, after 1986 where Mark Wade had Batman fighting the Ku Klux Klan. Like, a lot of it has to do with the Ku Klux Klan and Nazis. There's nothing wrong with it. It's actually something that's, like, kind of a time-honored tradition. So when he's pitching that, it's just like, all right, cool. Yeah, that's I think really that's cool. going to be it. I think you you're very political. Everything you do has a touch of political, uh, like uh, political idealism to it and stuff like that, and criticism. Uh, I think you'd be the perfect person for this. And when they start seeing the pages come in, they're like, oh shit, we fucked up. So it's like basically Frank Miller drawing what his experience was during 9/11, and like all the gritty details and everything. It, it kind of seems like a pitch meeting where they're like, alright, dude, this is the perfect dude for the job. This dude knows, like, like if they're doing a commercial for, like, Bubblegum, it's like, but we want an edgier image. And it's like, this dude knows edge. 
and then they like get like the first couple clips and it's like a straight up porno and they're like we screwed up yeah <laughs> why is he fucking the bubble tape <laughs> like, like, get it out get it out <laughs> bring me poochie <laughs> to the extreme <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so um yeah so he managed to get it uh published under dark horse because dark horse is like whatever like we're not gonna get sued it's fine <laughs> Yeah, you can do whatever you want, Frank. You published Sin City. Actually, he published like most of his stuff. I think like Martha Washington. I pretty think Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Yeah. I, if that wasn't an image thing, like I think most of everything that Frank Miller did independently was through Dark Horse. So well, it's Dark like, Horse is just like do whatever the fuck you want. We'll take you. <laughs> that it's literally in their name. They're the Dark Horse of comics. Yeah. What do they have? They have uh, at the time they had Star Wars license. They think they had Hellboy. They have, the Hellboy is like propping that yeah. thing up. Uh, Beast of Burden. Have you read Beasts of Burden? Honestly, I I know I have, but I can't remember. Like it's like Ghostbusters thing. with animals. Okay. And it is dark, and it is amazing, and I love it. I'm sorry, guys. We're we're, we're jumping off on stuff. The the God honest truth is we're trying to stall and get all the entertaining stuff out of the way first. Yeah. Uh, because there's really no way to talk about this without getting really deep and personal. Yeah. And kind of going to some dark places. And uh, it, it's a lot of hesitation on my part too. Like I'm kind of nervous trying to get into this because I'm like I don't want to say something that'll that'll like be negatively reflective of my character. Yeah. Like I did last week, <laughs> which if I remember to, I will edit that shit out. <laughs> but if not, then you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But uh. It, it's such a sensitive subject matter. So it's like 9-11 happened, but that wasn't the only impetus for this whole thing. Like, as everything was going on still and he was kind of developing it, there was another thing that took a turn for it. There was this guy named Theo Van Gogh, who was a Dutch filmmaker, who uh, very much in the the vein of, like, uh, the Charlie Hedbow murders where they went in and they blasted the whole French uh, cartoon place for publishing an image of Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy, uh, Theo Van Gogh, he made this movie criticizing Islam uh, called Submission Part 1. It was supposed to be the first of a three-part series. And in this one, there was a, a woman who was uh, wearing the headdress and the burqa, but it was see-through. So you can see her naked body right there, and you can see the marks on her body and everything. And she's kind of going through the story of her abuse and how Muhammad wasn't there for her. And then, like Theo used to joke about, it, he's just like, who's going to, like kill me I'm, I'm an idiot who wants to kill the idiot but in broad daylight out in the park they came for him shot him stabbed him to death and then that was the end of it and that kind of like picked up Frank Miller's anger a little bit more and you can still see a lot of the anger kind of coming through like I feel like this was more of a therapeutic piece for Frank Miller more than anything it, it was kind of like the emails that you write to your bosses but you're never supposed to send key hint if you're gonna write an email to your boss put the address in last so that way you remember not to send it yeah <laughs> don't don't start typing off with the email in there and then accidentally have like your pet or something hit send and then you're fired so i think this was his letters just to to this unfair world that he now is waking up to and mm-hmm. how he does with it like uh, a lot of this is a, a lot of the dialogue and storyline gets so dark and so one-sided but it if you look at it from the point of view of a standalone story that's written and out there in the world, then yeah, it's it propagates a lot of you know xenophobia and hatred specifically towards one culture. But if you look at it from the point of view of this is a man's conscience on page, it's how he makes sense of it. And you kind of look beyond the dark conclusions that he drew to and the parts of it in there that he's trying to make sense of what happened in this world that yeah, he's now the shit in. that he lived through yeah <laughs> and uh it kind of does remind me a little bit like uh, of the joker's journal yeah and the joker movie where he had to keep coming back and he has all those like almost insane ramblings going down but he's putting his thoughts down on paper and this is basically like those unfiltered thoughts that he has right there and he's got it refined and like i said it is beautiful to look at return to form this is this is really good from an artistic standpoint from, and then even writing it does follow like a very straightforward plot I, I i can point out that as far as what the writing goes like you um it didn't take you long to figure out what was going on or anything like there wasn't a lot of jumbling like he had with uh 
the uh, Dark Knight Return or Dark Knight Strikes. Dark Knight Strikes again. Yeah. It didn't really switch a bunch of per- perspectives. Yeah. It was basically just. Uh, I don't even think there were any internal monologues. It was a narration. Yeah. So you never really got to see any of the characters' thoughts themselves and the characters' musings. It was more a narrator going through and telling you what's going on, and that worked really well for this story. I mean, there there were a couple parts in there, especially towards the actions where the fixer and the uh, basically tribute to Catwoman, the cat burglar. As yeah, cat burglar, I, I believe is her name. It's, like, uh, I, I don't think they ever gave her any formal title other than cat Again, or, like, very thinly veiled. But like, the, there it's was, not even supposed I, to be anything other than Batman and Catwoman. I mean, there, there were a couple times where the dialogue kind of got mur- murky and you were trying to figure out whether it was the cat burglar or uh, the fixer that were talking, if they were happened to be in the same panel. <laughs> but for the most part, you still got the gist of what was going on in the storyline, yeah. even if you didn't know at the time which voice you were reading because at some point they did have a very similar narrative voice like when they were um, describing themselves like or when they were describing the action and stuff going on but again as far as his writing a lot clearer than um, strikes again but still you know like I said it, there's a lot to love about it but in no way throwing this out there because again this is going out in the world at no point do we support any of the viewpoints that came from this book and actually like frank miller during an npr interview basically came out and said everyone's going to be offended by this but i don't care i just need this to be out there so it was like more of like an internal calling of frank miller to be like this is a propaganda comic like i understand that completely i'm i'm taking every step i could like it was almost like he was compelled to write this and he's even distanced himself from it in recent days like I've seen an interview with him uh, during the uh, Superman year one uh, press release and they were asking him about it and it's just like yeah it's like I look back at that and I can't even read that anymore because I just see so much anger in the page and like I'm not going to apologize for anything I did but I feel like I really needed to do that like it was such a compulsion like in order to exercise that demon of 9-11 from his body like of course it's not going to be released at all but this was one of those steps for frank miller kind of gaining back his sanity and feeling like he's whole after that he had to channel that energy into something and this is what happened and i mean honestly i think after he did that you definitely saw a marked improvement in quality of his works beyond that also i mean oh you mean when they settled him with brian azarello yes Uh, (laughs) and they made brian azarello write everything i I was gonna say they also (laughs) kind of took steps you put a leash on him the size of azarello (laughs) (laughs) yes to do that so, I mean, but I think I, I think that had he not written this, I don't think he would be so quick to be leashed. I think as he kind of understood, wow, we're really angry motherfucker. Yeah. Could you imagine, like, I remember times in my life where I was so pissed off that I'd just be like, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. And we'd just build for, like, a week, yeah. two weeks. And then I'd just be, like, shaking. And I had to do something about it. I had to be resolved. Could you imagine fucking having to deal with that shit for as long as he did before this got published? Like... There's a reason there's so much anger in these pages. Yeah. So, uh, all the backstory aside, fascinating, fascinating, like, how this was created and how this, like, helped kind of get Miller's groove back. Um, but we also have to talk about the story a little bit. Yeah. So, we're going to go ahead and dive into the actual contents of Holy Terror right now. And, uh, Bruno, would you like to go ahead and give us a taste of uh, what this was about? All right. Um well, first off, it starts like any like his name is the Fixer, but he's essentially Batman. So it starts off starts off with any Batman story. He's scouring the freaking rooftops, and who does he see but Catwoman or Cat Burglar? Cat Burglar's ass, yeah, right? <laughs> and he's so, like, "I'm gonna get that." So this is this is like the Frank Miller that we're accustomed to. This is very much like, like a Frank Miller. This, send up. this is taking what what happened in All Star Batman between Batman and Black Canary, and just like. We're going to turn it up to 11. So he just, like, sees the cat burglar mid-crime, stops her, and is like, yeah, we're going to fuck. Yeah. And that's literally what happens. Yeah. He's um, like, what are, you, what are you stealing over there? I like just some jewelry. He's like, you won't pay for that. And you send me to prison? Yeah. No, the prison all- of my dick. <laughs> <laughs> and they just, like, fight for just a little bit, and then they knock each other down, and then they're like, huh, so, uh, fun situation we found ourselves in right uh, take that top off i mean further proof that frank miller could probably write a porn <laughs> he, could. he could you know what 
Chuck Austin, who we're going to talk about, like, sooner than you think. Like, it's coming. It's I, coming. I can't fucking wait for it. But Chuck Austin did a lot of porn stuff before he got into comics, and you can totally see that running through all of his romantic plot threads and stuff. But it's just like, you see Frank Miller's work, and you're like, you really wanted to do some porn? But you didn't have the balls to do porn. That's one one area where Chuck Austin like totally one upped Frank Miller. Yeah. Well, because I mean, like it, 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 the dialogue is almost equivalent to like falls on her. It's like is that your bat? You told totally, her no, it's my dick. Pepperoni <laughs> <laughs> pizza. <laughs> Reach down the popcorn bag. <laughs> Fucking yeah. And br- bat extra bro, butter. Bat bro returns again. <laughs> Thought we got rid of him. He really is frat bat. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, this is like a more sober frat bat. This is like the the frat bat that's like out of college is like, I need to grow up now. <laughs> I need to go get a job. But first, that ass. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. See the legs on that shit? <laughs> so, um, midst their uh, coming together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, there, there's a terrorist attack where... (laughs) Did you say that with a chuckle? (laughs) You son of a bitch! (laughs) I just prefaced so much on us being sensitive to this, and you chuckled through fucking terrorist attack. Because I'm still laughing at coming together, (laughs) alright? Fuck you. Excuse me, miss. Uh, I'm a a little thirsty, a little parched. Do you have any bath water I can drink? Oh my god. Oh my god, so... Are you take over, dude. <laughs> Don't put this shit on me. Fuck you. <laughs> I am not your whipping boy. That is not the dynamic that we have here. <laughs> All right, we're going to get very NPR right here. Okay. Okay, so there's a terrorist attack. Very deadly. There's nails, razors, everything going on. All while Fixer is inside the cat burglar. So they're fucking yes. on the roof. Then all of a sudden the blast goes off. So it's like supposed to be like this is something that happens normally in the lives of these superheroes at least what frank miller writes is like a daily occurrence is let's fuck (laughs) and then all of a sudden the bomb goes off and everything changes the tone gets like just like turns on its head i'd like to point out because as you can tell uh i I like to play games like cards against humanity very risque games because they're fun and this literally just drew me back to one of the rounds which was like what brought the orgy to a grinding halt and someone played September 11th. And I was yeah. like, whoa! I was like, wow! And I just like, it literally, while you, while you did your little NPR thing, it just dawned on me all at once. That Do like, I need to see when Cards Against Humanity was first released and see if they deserve a writing credit <laughs> for Holy Terror? Holy crap. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the, the bomb goes off, and of course everything is shaken. There's the... The fictional city that they're in right now is Empire City, and even, like, they have this uh, blind justice where it's, like, a Statue of Liberty, but it's blind justice. Yeah. She's got the blindfold on. She's holding the scales. She gets, like, blown over. Yeah. And everything is just really disorienting. Frank Miller does a really good job of showing how disorienting An attack like this is. It's, like, there's debris everywhere, and it's, like, just... They don't really have any reaction other than... Like, they're trying to make sense of like, it. Like, we need to figure out what happened, and, like, you know, the fixer's mind is who's gonna pay. Mm-hmm. Um, Catwoman, or Cat Burglar, is still kind of reeling from all of this, but immediately, like, switches gears from, like, yeah, I'm gonna steal these diamonds to, like, holy crap, what just happened? What are we gonna do about it? Um, and kind of unofficially joins the fixer's crusade to stop these, you know, things, uh, to make the terrorist that did this pay. Yeah, she's more just like going along with him because yeah. he's who she was with when this happened. And in situations like this, you stick together. You just follow the lead of the other person. So at this point, like, she's in it and she knows that this is not like for her. But, you know, at the same time, the sheer shock of the event is like pushing her forward too because she's yeah. like, can't let this happen again. Yeah, she's angry as well. Like, yeah. she's seeing how everything goes. And at the same time, like, it. All the way up until now, like you're, I'm reading this. I'm like, I'm actually kind of enjoying this. Yeah. And then it kind of switches over. So it's all black and white. There are just little bits of color. There's uh, the red on the cat burglar's shoes, and then there's pink on this Islamic woman, yeah. who's kind of like going through the streets. <clears throat> now the whole idea behind this was that it was perpetrated by a terrorist cell, mm. but the terrorist cell is also holed up in the embassy at Empire 
city. And what kind of seems like is they don't make any differentiation between any regular Muslims yeah. and any of the Muslims who were terrorists. They're like all in it together. So he's like taking kind of the worst impulses of those propaganda comics where it's just like it's completely black and white. It's us versus them. And then lumps them all together in this embassy. And that's where like things start to turn sour for me from like a moralistic standpoint. Yeah. Um, that That's probably the biggest criticism with this is that he paints the picture, but not on terrorists, but just the wider picture of just muslims in general mm. and it's it's a downside of any argument is that you can't put on an entire group the actions of you know certain individuals i mean same thing like look at any issue whether you, whether it be like immigration you know you talk about like you get one or two instances of characters or, or of like people that go across the border and commit a crime so then therefore all immigrants by proxy are criminals mm -hmm. you know uh, whereas some of them just overstayed um same thing with like the terrorists same thing with you know gang crimes and stuff like that you start blaming minorities because the people that happen to be in gangs there's a large trend of them towards being minorities it doesn't mean that every minority you're gonna come to whether it be african-american or hispanic are gonna be in a gang that's ridiculous so the downside to this particular book is that he does specifically what they tell you not to do when there's a big situation like this, which is jump to conclusions. Yeah. And this is why profiling is such a dangerous thing, because suddenly your next door neighbor that you probably didn't pay attention to, um, but happens to be you know of different ethnicity than you, now is looking a little bit more suspicious. Why is he looking for that package in the mail? Why does he have these people coming over his house? And it leads to that level of distrust that makes society unable to run. Um, and all of it is exactly what the terrorists want, which is this level of discomfort and unease. So in many aspects, he's kind of feeding into exactly what they want. The whole thing about 9-11 was to show them that America isn't safe, that America isn't impenetrable and with just a few planes and no weapons i mean all well, of the ones they used to hold up the plane um they were able to do that using just our, our own yeah. systems so that's that's a very big thing and honestly that's where the biggest criticism for this is is it's very xenophobic and it incites people the wrong way whereas the other ones showed us that like even a dude like hitler can't be held like can't be stopped that there'll always be someone you know to punch him in the face yeah this is just like instead of taking that like we're gonna punch hitler in the face because they didn't we didn't necessarily even though we had bin laden we didn't necessarily have a hitler in this particular crisis so imagine if the takeaway from that book is all germans are evil yeah and that would have led to other problems so mm -hmm. and then and one of the things too that miller brought up in the npr interview that i mentioned earlier was that this is the first time it really settled in for him that there was an existential threat that was like threatening his safety and he heard his parents talk about it like he even lived through the cold war but he never really even like thought about them. it yeah <clears throat> i mean he wrote a lot about it but it wasn't anything that directly affected him yeah. whereas his parents would talk about like uh world war ii and stuff like that about how there was an attack on pearl harbor uh there were other attacks like on the west coast and hell, even in St. Augustine, did you go up to the lighthouse and you see that there was the one Nazi submarine that washed up yeah. <laughs> in St. Augustine here in Florida? So it's just like we did face those threats at one time. And it's just like America has just become a shield since then and it like broke the shield. And it just like really set him like on fire. And he's just like he just wanted to know what he could punch. But there's nothing you can punch with an existential threat. So it's like his way of like personifying this so he can make, Here, uh, take it on. Here's the thing. It sticks with you. It really, like not to get overly poetic, but it really does stain your soul. Like uh, we're so far at, at this point, you know, removed from 9-11 in many aspects because, I mean, it's, you know, years have gone by um, and whatnot. But like just the other day we were talking about it. And 
I casually mentioned that, like, I saw the whole thing happen in, like, in view. Like, I was in my classroom, and I had a pure view from the Gothel's Bridge, and we could see the buildings, and didn't even think about it, but, like, you were like, whoa, you saw it? And I was like, yeah, and then it kind of flashback to where I was when I was watching it, mm-hmm. and, yeah, like, for a second, it took me back, and it did make me angry, because... There I was, unable to, like, at first I thought I was watching a movie. Then, like, everything that was about you and where you lived was probably on lockdown in a big way. Like, you couldn't go anywhere. No, no, they literally Mm -hmm. closed down school. Um, Kids were rushed home to their parents. Other kids they were making arrangements for because I, I, at the time, was in Elizabeth, New Jersey, which, again, stones throw away from um, it. And we saw the, the... skyline in our viewpoint like literally our school was like four stories so we had a view over the city and we could see across the river and to watch um like we never knew just how connected we were to the towers but we had kids whose parents worked there whose parents worked uh, near that area who were missing for days and they had to have like aunts come pick them up um like i told nick and not even like realizing but like i one of my favorite things to do when you're in high school when I didn't feel like going to school you know I would take a cut day and hop on a path train and the best place to go was the um, towers because they had the fountains there and you could skate around and New York used to have truancy officers so if you were in the parks and stuff they'd pick you up but almost they almost never went to like the, the towers plaza so you could just skate there for hours and you'd have food nearby and then if ever there was a problem you just went right to the path station and get on the train and you'd be fine um i mean they never really mess with too many people from jersey but occasionally they would pick you up and be like yeah you need to leave you just need you can't be here yeah. it's it's daytime you, you, we know you're supposed to be in school even if you're not a new new york student you just can't be here so um my plan for that week was to cut school and just go and skate and me and my friends all had it planned out one of our friends got sick another friend decided they were just gonna go ahead and not do so and then next thing you know I was just like I'm just gonna go to class and I wind up sitting in algebra class or geometry and looking across the window and seeing this happen like I said the first time we saw it they, they came rushing in and they said turn on the TV and I'm thinking I'm watching a bad disaster movie because we see a slow motion plane hitting a building yeah. and then all of a sudden you see smoke and then another plane and you're like shit this is actually happening so now you said it kind of like sits on like a stain on your soul like did you were you kind of aware enough at the time to like really be affected long term by it i mean or was it something that just kind of happened and you i didn't know how to make sense of a lot of what was happening um like my parents they had a very small like worldview at that point like they they work locally um my dad was literally within like walking distance his job he had a factory that he worked at my mom was stay at home and they had their friends and i think when this happened it really opened up their worldview because now they weren't safe because we literally came to america you know not like we came from a world tour country we came from portugal but we came to america because it was better it was the best it was where anything can happen and then we didn't realize that could also mean anything bad and that's where it was and it really did shock me because i had friends whose parents were missing kids were pulled out of school and didn't show up because we didn't know what happened to their parents so it very much disrupted my way of life and you know you kind of make peace with it and you because it didn't happen to me directly like i didn't lose any family members i tried to help out with like you know donating blood helping out with red cross they had like food drives and stuff like that but i don't think the impact of it really kind of hit me until i'll be honest with you i think the part that jarred me the most is when i went back and we went to see before they opened up freedom's plaza where they did the the fountains like and the, the fountains the crying fountain that goes well, into the what I th- actually what hit me was before that because when this happened they closed off the World Trade Center path stop. It was closed for, I want to say months, if not years. And they finally opened it up, and the whole area was still closed off, and you just see a pit mm-hmm. where one stood in the tower. And it just, like, like just, you know, they had cleared out as best they could, but there was rubble and everything, and you could just kind of 
feel like it, and again it just brought me back and I, I it, it doesn't like you don't even realize it like I said like when I casually mentioned it to you I didn't even think about it until you kind of were like wait you were there tell me about that and then like it brought it back and then like all the feelings of just confusion mm. and then as the information came out more and more like I remember um this one's really messed up but we were literally sitting my parents trying to make sense of it and just watching any news that we could and then they had that clip of the people celebrating mm. in the other country um say like uh like Iran, I, I think Iran, it was Iran, Afghanistan, or Afghanistan or something like that uh, and then it turns out that it was for lack of a better word fake news because they actually had someone had filmed a celebration that was occurring yeah. that had nothing to do with I actually think that that one that you're talking about was actually supposed to be a like a group of them in New Jersey celebrating and no, that turned out to be the fake news too the, this one was that was actually like overseas and they oh, was had, it they had because they had all the stuff like written in their language it the background was like you know for lack of better, sand was everywhere so um and they were in the streets just like ah, and like the the whole thing was that they were celebrating and they showed that clip like twice that day and then uh immediately like as more information came out they're like that was actually a celebration of like someone's wedding or something that someone filmed that clip of and put it up there yeah and then it, and just show that they were happy and like they immediately backtracked it because someone didn't bother to fact track because at this point we'd never I mean, America has gone through it, but this is the first time that America is going through it with news media coverage yeah. to the extent that it is now. So news media had no idea what to do. So anything is like, man, I just got this clip that this is going. Put it on the air. We want to be the first ones to put it out there and not really being responsible about fact-checking. This is like the 24-hour, just so like, we need to have this. So, yeah, so you would get this. And, like, my parents were, like, furious. Um, and it was really weird because, you know, my parents never really thought of themselves as American but at this point they're just like they fuck with us and I'm like but you're not us you're still Portuguese no, but, but they're, they're looking across the street and they're like look over there they fucked with us like, yeah, this so, is us so like it was really weird and then like to be so angry for that one split second and then come to find out obviously cooler heads prevail and it turned out that it wasn't what we thought but it's like you know never thought it'd be so angry over just an image yeah, I've uh, also got like a question for you too because I know I've ran into a couple people at least down here that were transplants from New York City that came in like just lived in like Palm Coast because Palm Coast is like New York South. It really like, is for real. Like it, New it, Jersey, New York, Philadelphia. The, the running, I'm from Philadelphia. You're from New Jersey. How many people I know from New the, York? The running joke is you live your life up north and then you retire in Florida, but it's absolutely true. Like yeah. everyone just comes down here. There, there is no Florida and accent. how to drive. <laughs> the, the only thing is, we start saying y'all after a little bit. That's, that's true. That, <laughs> someone made fun of me for that. They're like, you're not even New Yorker anymore. It's like, why? Wow, you say you all. And I was like, I don't know. It just snuck into I my I don't vernacular. say y'all anymore. I say you all. I've tried. I, I, I can't say use. I can't say use anymore. But I say you all. That's what I tried to do. Is like I was like, <clears> y'all. And I'm like, uh, now I've just come down to like, now I don't, don't even want... All of you guys. That that's, all of you guys. All of you guys. All you guys. You guys. You guys. That's and then it. and then it comes out to you guys, and I'm like, all, oh, just just all. Yeah, I have to go back. Uh, Philadelphia, we're a little rougher. We say water, water. Let's go up to the creek. A bunch of nasty motherfuckers speaking up there. That's all right. I went there, and my ears felt. I felt like cutting my ears off when I listened to my relatives speak. That's okay. But we're just sitting there drinking our coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back to what I was saying, like yeah. I had a bunch of uh, uh, people I've run into. Uh, who are transplants from New York, like older people, that and more than a few of them would openly talk about, like, man, when the towers went down, like, it was open season. Like, we would rip them out of the cabs and stomp them and stuff like that. It was, like, the violence in the streets, like, after 9-11, at least from the people I was talking to, like, seemed like it was never really covered in the media, but it's something that, like, those groups of people kind of hold on to because they had all this anger and they need to do something about it. So they beat the fucking shit out of anyone they saw who was different. Yeah. So... And that's really what this anger is kind of harnessing in right here. I doubt Frank Miller went out and beat the shit out of anybody, but this is like him trying to find something to punch, and he's making his generalization, and that's it. So it's it goes off, and then just like the news media, what Bruno was saying, we start getting these trickles of information. We get like the Commissioner Gordon 
character kind of fill us in on stuff. And then we have this one guy who is basically uh, the question. Yeah. Uh, but he's drawn with a face, and he has a blue star of David on his face, and his name is David. He is Jewish, and he may be one of the leaders of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion or something. I don't know. I was very confused as to why, where he was going with this. I'm like, what? Are these like Jew Nazi hunters or something like that? Like The bear Jew. Yeah, he's the bear Jew. <laughs> he's David like, the bear Jew. Um, that, this is actually kind of where, again, the... the it was a very interesting choice. The book jumps ship because, again, it's... You have on one side, like, the the terrorist agenda where, like, he's writing from the point of view that it's like, you know these infidels they deserve and stuff like that and then there's you know their version of uh, facts that like we're working with the jews and america is controlled by the jews and you know they're against the the rights of islam and then frank miller writes this angry thing and then inadvertently writes something that like if you were on the side of the terrorists you would point that out and be like, look, even in his book where he's angry, he's where there's a Jew that's working with them, that's yeah. calling all the shots and giving them all the information on our attacks. It makes no sense. And I'm like, dude, it's like, what, what was it? What was behind the stylistic choice? Are you saying that the Jews really run the world? Which is really funny because it's like he could have done anything. Rorschach was basically a knockoff of the question because he couldn't yeah. use the question. He could have done anything. He could have done like. Like, I'll, hashtag mark or something. I almost feel like that. But like, he went Frank Miller was just like, you know how you can tell the question is the question? I was like, what? He has no facial features? So you're like, I've got questions. That's the question. You know exactly who he is from when you see him. You know how you know David's a Jew? How? He's got the fucking star of David on his face. Forget the eye of the yeah. Jew. He's got the face of yeah. the Jew. <laughs> he is the Illuminati. <laughs> the Illuminati personified. Oh my god. <laughs> But yeah, it's and then he kind of fills him in. And it turns out the fixer works with David, and David's like uh, fixer's like his protege and yeah. stuff like that. And then David assigns fixer to go ahead, and he's like kind of playing coy with cat burglar, who's trying to get information. He's like, ah, sorry, babe, this is like top secret stuff. You could have got in with David, but you chose a life of crime. But this is where we're going. We got a hint. So then they go over to the embassy. And then they start storming the embassy, and Cat Burglar sneaks in because that's what she does. Yeah. And then she gets captured, uh, threatened with rape. And I mean, that's that's where it goes down. And it, it gets like super hyper, just like it's it's really it doesn't get graphic. No, but, but it, it's really tense because the uh, the, the illusions that they make yeah. of what's going to happen and what fate could befall her are just very very uncomfortable. Like it's it's on it's higher up than like. It's like if your parents come in and watch, like, watch, and all of a sudden, like, porno flashes on your screen, and you're just, like, frozen. It's that level of, like, this is just super awkward, and where, and it's only gonna get worse. Mm. So, th- that's where, honestly, a lot of it is, like, the cat burglar portion of it is kind of... This is, this is where it gets off. Yeah. This is where it gets off. And it turns out, like, I, I believe it's an American who's funding all of them, and he's, like, this fat guy, and, like... Like all fat Frank yeah. Miller guys, yeah. Right? He's he's fat and he's funding them and he's just like okay. it's another Lex Luthor fat guy. No reason he's just fat because yeah. all I think he takes the term like fat cat literally. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that business fat cat and he's just like he's got to have like four bellies, you know. So. Yeah, he's got a tail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he takes it literally. <laughs> he looks like the bad guy from Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Oh my god. <laughs> Who was also named Fat Cat. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they deserve a writing credit. Like <laughs> <laughs> God. Cards Against Humanity, we get the creators of Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Who else are you stealing your ideas from, Frank Miller? Oh, that's right, Bill Finger and Bob fucking Kane. Yeah. But yeah, so Not she to goes mention to... the Jewish people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the Jewish conspiracy? <laughs> Because I can't quite tell what fucking side of the argument he's on with this thing. Even though he does portray the Jews as good guys, he also portrays them as, like, a worldwide organization. Yeah. So like it's We like, have all this information. And here, we're going to share it with you now that the terrorist attack has happened. Wait, wh- why now? Why not, like, ten minutes ago? Because <laughs> you knew where they were right after the shit blew up. You obviously were keeping tabs on these... Yeah. So then, like... 
Kaplinger's captured, like, her life is in serious danger, whereas, by the way, this whole scene, if you were just to disregard all of the word boxes, like we said before, beautiful. This is some of the most beautiful Frank Miller black and white artwork I've ever seen. But the reality is, it's seeped in venom, and it's seeped in hatred, and it's seeped in, like, these overgeneralizations that, where, when he introduces the the business, the U.S. businessman who's kind of funding it, it kind of starts to get more comic booky. Yeah. But it never truly embraces that and separates itself from reality enough. Because one of the things that makes those propaganda comics so fun is that they are separated from reality. They're informed by it. But it's like a separate entity. So you can see it and you can be like, okay, that's there's no stress of me feeling like I'm living through this. Whereas Frank Miller dives in and says, fuck you, we're living through this right now. And then in the final act where the the cat plugger is about to be raped, about to be murdered... um, Fixer jumps through the window. I think he's even on like a jetpack or something like that, or even like a glider. And he's shooting chemical weapons. And the chemical weapons, they're inhaling them and they're like melting right before their faces. And he pulled the Raiders of the Lost Ark and weaponized that shit. Yeah. He's, he's just shooting them with pieces of the Ark. Of the yeah. And there, there was one scene at the end too. It's like Cat Burglar kind of has this moment of empathy where she's seeing all the horrific things happen to them. And then she's like seeing them like choke. Face their melts. faces melting they're vomiting all over the place and they're like losing their wits and then she's like wait but these are the same weapons they're using against us so fuck them yeah. and then it kind of gets back to it and it's just like okay uh, whew, this is this is a lot heavier <laughs> than I expected it to be going into it and I'm still not sure exactly what I think about it and I mean I also have to point out that during the, the panels with it is when he goes color heavy like you have the scene with uh the cat burglar there's definitely splashes of pink in there mm. um when he comes with the chemical weapon he's wearing that like the green, green face, face mask. mask um there's the the blood that happens when they all start to freaking face melt and yeah. where she has that look on their face of like horror as she witnesses them being you know like succumbing to the punishment that he inflicted on them and then Again, that realization... And actually, I kind of like how he did that. I will give him credit for it stylistically because you see her face dead on as she's wrestling with the reality of what they're inflicting on her. And then when she finally decides that this is what they had planned for us, it turns to the profile and she's suddenly darkened out as if she's like no longer giving in to like her own personality. It's just all the fear and the anger. And she's like, they can go to hell, and then everything else is shadowed out. Yeah. So you don't get to see the individuals, it's just the the people the, the, that are standing there. And after all that subsides and they the rubble clears, we get uh, six weeks later. And this actually ends on... I think this is... This final page kind of justifies everything yeah. in this. Because you can kind of see it's like... The, the writings of a man who's still like riddled with PTSD and trying to make sense I mean sense I, of it. I know that it's and this is a really really good summation of what terror does to a person so it's like one of my biggest recommendations is like if you read this then just know that by the end then there will be justification for the perspective not justification for anything that happens in it but like I mean, you can it, see how someone can have this if you take the character of not quite James Gordon and replace uh, Dan, him Dan Donegal yeah, and, and replace them with Frank Miller. That's kind of where you're at yeah, right so now. Yeah, so I'm actually going to go ahead and read a little bit of this because it was poignant and it really stuck with me. Yeah. Six weeks. What does Captain Dan Donegal have to show for? A noisy, busy, cranky city turned all quiet and scary polite. A cough that comes from out of nowhere. No telling when, making, a mo- making the most body-proud health nut sound like a chain smoker. A bed gone lonely. Children's toys turning up in strange forgotten places. And the same sounds, the same smells, every damn night. No wonder we call it terror. That is very powerful. Yeah. I mean... If you just took this page and put it in, like, this this one page right here could be among some of the most poignant things that Frank Miller's ever written. I stand by the fact that it almost seems like if you took out the six weeks later and it was just Frank Miller waking up from his dream and all of this was his dream, it would actually be really... Poignant I, I think that would cheapen it, like because I, with the art, there needs to be separation between the artist. And that's that, true. But this is very much Frank Miller's mouthpiece, right? Here. It is. I think. I think that's the the goal that he was going for. Um, and that one, that I can honestly say, at least he stuck the landing on this one. Mm. 
Um, yeah. It was just the middle that was like a really turbulent ride. So I, like the best way to look at Holy Terror, and I'm not sure this is the best like comparison, but it's like being on a plane that's suddenly hitting turbulence, and then you're like dangerously close dangerously close to the, like the ground you like almost see like the mountain that you're going into and then like last second you they they course correct it and just land like an emergency landing but everyone's okay and you're just like shaking and, and everyone's like, shaken and disturbed but like weeks later you're still having flashes of oh my god did i die there but like, life life goes on but it sticks with you and i think yeah. that's that's what he's saying so yeah again sorry for using a plane crashing i was like, like he's not he gonna like, say box cutter, is he? He's like, he's gonna bring up the box cutter. They give me the face, like, watch, like I'm walking. I'm like, you like, watch it, motherfucker. I'm wa- you walking. You laughed the first time. <laughs> he's like, give me that face, like I'm walking on really thin ice, and he's like, yeah, I will cut your mic right now <laughs> if you say the wrong word. It's the same goddamn mic I'm using. I'm cutting off. It's like, it's like, <laughs> and, and that is the end, though. <laughs> Bye, guys. It's just my, me doing a voiceover later, and Bruno went off the fucking deep end. I fired him. <laughs> I also fired myself <laughs> for some comments I made. <laughs> but yeah, so every single week we do this. Uh, uh, first of all, we usually do recommendations, but we actually, uh, as of last week, we started turning our recommendations into another offshoot podcast called Burn Ointment that you can uh, listen to every single Wednesday. We're going to have it. Uh, we're going to go off and talk about the recommendations we have. So if you uh, were reading this and you want something that's better and more palatable, then we've got several recommendations we're going to give for you right there. But before we go, we're talking about Holy Terror, and this whole podcast is about bad comics and why you should read them. This is uh, considered a very bad comic for its social and political implications, Um, but there are bright spots in this. So if you were to read it, there are certain things that I would like you to take away from it. First of all, as I've said before, this is Frank Miller's return to form as far as art goes. And if you had seen Dark Knight Strikes Again you could see just how bad and broken he was and then you see this you see how much passion and how much like technical detail he put into this just to try and make sure everything was correct as far as his vision went so artistically this is this is really really something nice I would put this out there and reference this for once in a positive light this is like the Joker movie of comics because when we last talked about the Joker movie I was actually really upset because from a comic book point of view, it was not a good comic book movie. It was not a... had nothing to do with the Joker other than tying it into the name and throwing in little pastiches. And showing, like, the social of, chaos. Of, that... of Gotham. But nothing, you could have replaced any of those characters and you still would have had the same movie. You just did, They just used that to as clickbait, essentially, which is what pissed me off. It was, like, a movie of clickbait. Everyone wanted to see this take on a Joker that wasn't really the Joker and even they've come out so far saying this is a he Joker. probably inspired the Joker. But this is a Joker but it's not the Joker. It's not the one that you're going to see. It's not Jared Leto. It's not Heath Ledger. It's a Joker. This is how a Joker is made and again I was like well you're kind of cheaping in it because it's supposed to be the Joker. So this is very much in that reign. Artistically just like the movie it is beautiful. It hits all the right points. It makes you feel uncomfortable which is what it's set out to do because it's set out to convey an emotion yeah whether it's the emotion of mental instability or the emotion of someone making sense of their ptsd mm-hmm. and when we're talking art then you really have to put aside what the social implications are of yeah. the art because this is an expression of someone's emotional state you cannot just like completely discredit everything because it doesn't align with a proper worldview or even an ethical worldview. I also have to point out, and this is one of those things where it's... I understand that artistically, um, artists do have a responsibility to what they put out there, but there are some times where they have to capture an emotion yeah, and just walk away from it, and they do that. It's, it's when an artist... And it, he did walk away from this. Yeah. He doesn't even go back and look at it, the it, same it, it's, it's only that he just did and it's over. It's only when an artist irresponsibly looks at it and keeps fueling that fire yeah. that you have a problem. This was never about him trying to turn us against Muslims or Islam as a whole. It was about him getting what was in his chest, off his chest. And the lens of anger could have been more finessed, could have been more fine-tuned. There could have been something in there where he would just associate them strictly as just terrorists and not the Islamic country as a whole. But that's not what he felt in that moment. 
Yeah. And he knew that. He and, needed and he something to punch it. and he punched the embassy. And that and that's that's where it's at. So like we definitely would recommend this book because again, looking at it strictly from a psychological point of view, there's so much to unpack. And and just even looking at the backstory behind it and how it came to be is amazing, especially how he's gone from here and when he how he talks about like having made that and how he feels about it now you see that there was growth um so again we at no point in any way shape or form support the message that's inherent in here mm-hmm. but we understand the concept and what it did for him i support the therapy behind like the ther- like- thank you that's actually the best way to put it the therapy behind this is actually really moving and it shows what happens when an artist unburdens himself because at the end of the day they are people they're not just like cash cows that can spit out really great storylines they're people that deal with complicated feelings and they yeah. live in the real world and how like like we said when the the ballistic bombs go off like how disruptive and abrupt that was how it just like completely stopped everything day-to-day life you felt that yeah. like that was an emotion that was completely conveyed to me as i was reading this and it was very effective and then as i said too just closing off that last page justifies everything that we were just talking about and like you said don't support the message but the therapy behind it, it's it's real, and you can't really ignore these things. Like, human minds are not ethical by default. Yeah. It's something that we kind of consciously go through and get that. Like, this is knee-jerk. PTSD is something that's subconscious, and it's something that's kind of, like, runs in the background, like, no matter if you want it to or not. And this is the emotion you got through, and it was an effective one. And yes, I would recommend everybody go out and read this, but I want you to read that with that understanding. Yeah, I mean, if you're going in and trying to read just an entertaining comic book thing, I mean, unless you're really into, like, movies of the 80s, where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like, one Schwarzenegger, like or like Cobra from Stallone, just takes out a group of guys and has no mercy throws out some punchlines and bangs hot chicks that's kind of what you get here but with the overtone of terrorism as a, as a thing so it's it's not but at least those movies too they're discriminant over which yeah. ones are good terrorists and which ones, ones are bad, bad terrorists. terrorists there's no dis- discrimination dis- here it's just it's just us and them and them is everyone that's not us yeah and that that's where we're at here so it's not a great comic book per se like a storyline because of that particular message, it doesn't really read as a good comic book. This but is it, a tone poem. But this, this is reads like a really good tone as, poem. as a very good, like, like I said, a very good form of therapy, a very good breakdown. This is the kind of, of comic book that if you were to present it in like a psychology class or something, you would actually have discussions and write yeah, a paper back about. Yeah, this back-to-back with Dark Knight Strikes Again too. Like, like you, you, can you, you could literally easily run, jump through them. Like if you were if you were stories. on the topic of PTSD and you presented this as an example of PTSD, absolutely you'd, pr- you'd probably get an A in that class because you have captured the essence of it because that's what he did on this page. So read it as what that is. Don't just read it at face value of like, oh, this is a comic book. You know, it's going to yeah. be funny. It's going to be filled with... That's that's things. when this becomes dangerous. Yeah. That's when this becomes dangerous. So uh, like we said, check us out Wednesday. We've got tons of recommendations for this because like we said earlier on, like comic companies have no problem with publishing propaganda stuff as long as it aligns to a certain uh, strict set of ethical standards, uh, which with this one kind of... Here's the uh, thing. They'll they'll publish off. they'll publish pretty much whatever you. I mean, there is a comic book out there for just about everyone. There's. Well, like, I mean, I'm talking about the big two. We're talking Marvel and DC. Even they will event will push the envelope quite a bit. It's just when the envelope bites back, or when they see that there's going to be a huge backlash, that they will kind of pull back. Like there was the one with Batgirl where and they revealed that the villain was a transgender villain. Mm-hmm. And there was huge backlash from that because of the personification that the for one of the first major representations, not the first, in comic books happens to be a villain. Of course they have to be a villain. So you're typecasting transgenders as villains. And that blew back so hard that they had to, I think it was Gail, actually went and apologized. I, I believe it was Gail Simon that wrote it. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. But it, it's in there. So they will push the envelope, sometimes not even intentionally, and then when it gets met with backlash, they kind of went. And this one, DC preemptively was like, no. Yeah. Not going to happen. We don't want our label on this. No, no. It's but 
on Wednesday, we're going to go ahead and tell you some things that they did put their label on. So in the meantime, guys, my name is Nick. My name is Bruno. And good night. Oh, 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 next week. Next week. I forgot to tell us what we're talking about next week. We got so much into the burn. I'm sorry. It's throwing my flow off just having That's this new right. thing on That's there. all right. But next week, we're going to be continuing on with uh, uh, Miller it's, time. It's more Miller time, but... But this is the Miller that's been filtered. This is the the Miller on a leash. We this, put this Miller on a leash. This is the artisan Miller, the one that goes through the the blender and he's filtered. You know, good coffee. It's not like you just poured it into a bowl and you're drinking the coffee yeah. and water. No, no, no. This one has artisanal flavors. In Actually, it. this one. Have you seen Silicon Valley? Yes. The he's more like Baghetti, Big Head. Oh God. In this one. Where when we go into Dark Knight Master Race, uh, Dark Knight Returns 3, the Master Race, yeah. Brian Azzarello is running the show and Frank Miller's just got his name on it and he's just walking around in the background going, yeah, uh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so join us next time when we see, look at the sequel to Dark Knight Strikes Again, Dark Knight 3, the Master Race, issues number 1 through 9 by Brian Azzarello. Uh <laughs> Adam Cooper and Frank Miller does some stuff in the back issue backups and has yeah. his name on it. <laughs> so the backups are actually pretty good too. <laughs> in the meantime, guys, my name is Nick. My name is Bruno. And good night. Feliz Navidad. Keep it trashy, readers. Oh God, it burns.